Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from, and I know where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me also. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said that to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Can I talk now? Good. Thank you, Matt. Reading the scripture, thank you for worship team for leading us to God's throne this morning. I'm going to ask for his help one more time, if you would bear with me. Father, we and I need your help through your spirit to reveal to us more of Jesus Christ, your son. Give us ears to hear and hearts to perceive your truth and help me to make it clear in the way I ought to speak, to honor you, to make your word clear, helpful to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you tell the difference between darkness and light? You might say, well, that's a ridiculous question. Of course, anybody can tell the difference between dark and light. Well, Isaiah, Isaiah 520 in his day had this to say about his times. I think we might have that there, yeah. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It seems like our times are a lot like Isaiah's times, where people put darkness for light and light for darkness, call good evil and evil good. They, what they call darkness is light and light is darkness. That's why people can have such earnest and deeply felt views of morality these days that, that are totally out of sync with God's view of it. Because in their heart, they are sincere in opposition to God's ways because his ways appear dark to them, and their ways seem enlightened. So they would say, Christian, you're still in the dark ages. We're enlightened. 
That's how it seems to work these days. If you live in spiritual darkness, the light doesn't seem attractive. Whatever is good, true, and right about God's light, you reject and see as evil if you are spiritually dark. Your spiritual nature is either light or darkness determines how you see reality. It determines what you view as good, right, and true. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 3, he said, unless you are born again or born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, you can't see, you can't even perceive how God really works if you're not born from above, from God's work in you from above. In other words, unless you receive a new spiritual nature from God, unless he calls you out of the darkness into his light, you cannot understand or approve of God's ways. God's ways that are light will appear dark to you, and what is dark will seem light. In our Bible text today, starting with John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus claims to be the light of the world. This means that apart from Jesus, the world is a dark place spiritually. We understand from John's gospel and the rest of the New Testament that the world lies in spiritual darkness. And it's, that means it's under the power of sin and unbelief. The world sees the claim that you must believe in Jesus to have eternal life as a dark and foolish claim. Oppressive and restrictive, opinionated and not worthy to be spoken. It also means that by nature we all have dark hearts. By nature we're born with dark hearts. That is our hearts don't love what God says is good, right, and true. The consequence of living in spiritual darkness is not only that you live in darkness in this life, but in the next life, you also have a, a horrible consequence. You'll die in your sin, and those have devastating eternal consequences. Now, this week we're beginning with John chapter 8, verse 12, as was read. You may have all, if you were here last week, you may have noticed, or you may not, if you weren't paying attention, we ended at John 7.52. You may be wondering, what happened to the verses between John 7.52 and 8.12? There's about 12 verses there. Well, briefly, here's how it is. Most of your Bibles put this in brackets and refer to it in a footnote. So the ESV footnote says something like this. The earliest manuscripts did not include that passage. This fact, along with other facts, lead us to conclude that this passage was not originally part of John's gospel or even part of inspired scripture. So there's more reasons for that. I'll just share a few of them. The story is missing from all the Greek manuscripts of John before the 5th century. So not until the 5th century did it ever show up in any manuscript of the New Testament. The earliest church fathers omit this passage in commenting on John. So the early fathers who were commenting on these passages, they never even see this, this text at all until later on in the 5th century. In fact, if you read from John 7.52 and just go to 8.12, it flows really nicely without that story in there. So it, it seems to connect just very easily without having that story in there. So when the story starts to appear, when it first starts to appear in the Gospel of John, it shows up in three different places other than here. So it shows up at John after John 8.12, or before John 8.12, after John 37.36, after John 7.44, after John 7.21.25, and also it shows up in Luke's Gospel at one time after 21:38, So it seems like a story that was hopping around looking for a place to fit, and they weren't sure where to put it. Because you, many people love this story, and you can see why. It's, it's, it's got a great truth in it. And so, hey, we've got to find a place for this somewhere, even if it wasn't really originally part of the God's inspired word. The style and vocabulary is unlike the rest of John's gospel. 
There are 13 other words in this short section that are found nowhere else in John's gospel. And John uses a lot of the same words over and over again. There's nothing about this that could not have happened. It's not, that, it's not like a fantastic, crazy story. There's no major doctrines that depend on it. Scholar, New Testament scholar Andreas Kostenberger writes this, and you know he has to be a scholar because of his name, Andreas Kostenberger. This account almost certainly was not part of the original gospel and therefore should not be regarded as part of the Christian canon, that is, of inspired scripture. Nor does inspiration extend to it. In principle, this passage is no different from other possibly authentic sayings of Jesus that may be found in New Testament apocryphal literature. In other words, it may well have actually occurred, it just was not part of God's inspired scripture because the Bible isn't just a history book that whenever you find something new, you insert in it. God's inspired word was originally written in the first decades of the first century. And so, doesn't mean, now, in saying that this is not originally part of scripture, doesn't mean that there are a whole bunch of other big paragraphs like this that we should just eject out of scripture. The only other one close to it is the end of Mark's gospel. If you've ever gotten to the end of Mark's gospel, you see the same thing, brackets, and these were not found, this is not found in the earliest manuscripts. So because we really want to only preach God's inspired word, and even if it's a text that is in, helpful and inspiring, we believe we should only preach the inspired word of God, and we will not preach this text. If you have other questions about this, talk to me after the service if you can find me. Or talk to Matt, Matt Quintana. Really, you should talk to him, really, because he's, he's the expert in all this. He taught three weeks on how, you, how we got our Bible, so he knows all there is to, t to know about this. Well, chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is teaching in the temple, either at the end of or soon after the Feast of Tabernacles. That's where he was back in chapter 7. It's an amazing claim for Jesus to make. So what does Jesus mean by this, and why does he make this claim? How did he expect people to understand him? What did he expect them to get when he said, I'm the light of the world? Well, there was a lighting ceremony that took place during the Feast of Tabernacles called the Illumination. Four huge lamps were lit in the court of the women that were so bright they would shine all over Jerusalem, it said. The light from the temple area shed its glow all over Jerusalem. The light imagery was to remember God's presence with Israel in the pillar of fire in the wilderness. So in John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, referring to the manna that God fed them in the wilderness. In John chapter 7, he said, if he who believes in me, rivers of living water shall flow from him. And he's talking about the water that God uh, gave to Israel in the wilderness by making streams of water flow from a rock. So now he's talking about the light of God's presence in the wilderness, the, the, the pillar of fire that went over the, uh, over the tabernacle that would lead Israel where they were to go in the wilderness. So the light imagery was to remember this, and as God manifested his presence with Israel in the shining light of the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire by night, the Shekinah glory, in other words, as he led them in the desert in their journey to the promised land, so Jesus, as the light of the world, is leading his people to heaven, to his heavenly Father. I think that's what he meant them to get when he said, I'm the light of the world. And besides these Old Testament images, there are many other references to God and the Messiah as being Israel's light. So these won't be on the screen, but Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Isaiah 49.6, I'll make you a light for the nations. Talking about the Messiah. My salvation shall reach the ends of the earth. 
So the Jews think of God as light and the Messiah as light. So what has the author John said so far about Jesus' light? Well, back in chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, John wrote these words. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So in other words, the gift of eternal life itself is called the light of men. In other words, the light of life that Jesus gives to us exposes sin's darkness and reveals what is good, right, and true. It reveals Jesus as a source of eternal life. The darkness of this world cannot overcome the light that is in Jesus. The light of eternal life cannot be destroyed by darkness, which is good news. In other words, if you have eternal life, it, the darkness can never extinguish it. it. Once you have eternal life, it'll never go out. It's a light that will last in you forever. And that had to come from Jesus from the outside. It's not something we're born with. We have to receive it from Jesus, as he, he'll make very clear. Verse 9 of John 1, he's, the true light, which gives light to everyone who's coming into the world, the true light. In other words, the ultimate light, all the Old Testament imagery of light and that fills the Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus. He's the light of creation. He's the light of redemption. He's God. He's Messiah. He's the one who led them in the wilderness. He's all these things, exposing sin's darkness and revealing himself as the way, the truth, and the life. So as the sun is the only self-generating source of light and and life for our planet. So Jesus is the only self-generating, eternal, life-giving light for the world. Without Jesus, we can't see our sin for what it is, and we can't receive eternal life from any other source except Jesus, as Sherry prayed when she was praying. There is no other source of eternal life except Jesus. You can't find it anywhere, not even at Costco. Only Jesus has eternal life. He is the light of the world, not just for Israel, but of the world. John 3.16. Ever heard of John 3.16? You know that one? God so loved the, not just Israel, but the world. And then a little bit later, a few verses later, starting with John 3.19, John describes why some in the world come to, come to the light and some don't. John 3.19. This is the judgment, that light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So when Jesus says in John 8, 12, he is the light of the world, he is saying that he will judge the world based on whether you love darkness more or light. If you continue doing evil... You love darkness and won't come to the light. If you do what is true, you will come to the light because it reveals that your works have been produced in you by God's grace. In 8.12, Jesus describes what a positive response to him means. I am the light of the world, he says. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Following Jesus as a sin-exposing way of eternal life, revealing light, means you will not walk or live in the darkness of unbelief and sin but you will have the light of eternal life, a life of trust in Jesus and living in his truth. Your life will be oriented toward Jesus like a sunflower to the sun. Now, here's the New Testament ethic in one verse, Ephesians 5.8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You were darkness and now you're light. So what do you do? Walk as children of light. There you go. In one verse... You were darkness, now you're light. Be what you are, children of light. 
And then later in John, in his first letter, in John 1, 5 to 7, says this, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light is not being sinless. It is a life continually being cleansed from sin by the blood of Jesus. And I should have also put up there John 1, 9, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's not a sinless life. It's a life that's continually being cleansed by the blood of Jesus until he takes you home and no more sin. Can you imagine a life with no more sin? I mean, it's so hard to even fathom a life, no more sin. That's what we're, that's what we're in it for. Right now, we don't get that privilege, but we, also, we do get the privilege of continually being cleansed over and 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 over again by the blood of Jesus because we keep sinning, so he needs to keep cleansing us through his blood, and that's his promise is we confess our sins and live in the light. Throughout the New Testament, the writers describe life in Jesus as light, living by the ways of this world as darkness, and ultimately those who remain in darkness will be cast into hell which is also called the outer darkness. You think, well, isn't hell a place of fire? Dark, dark fire is the worst kind. Isolated, dark, suffering, and fire. Whereas those who live in the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ will live in the new Jerusalem, which is lit by God and the Lamb, power and light. The glory of God and the Lamb of God, Jesus, are its light. And we'll know forever and ever we didn't get there because it was in us. We got there because sheer grace of God, shining his light to our lives, showing us Jesus. That's the only way anybody ever entered the new Jerusalem, the heavens and earth, the new heavens and new earth. Without Jesus as our light, we don't know where we're going spiritually. We can't see what leads to eternal life or eternal death. Only Jesus can reveal this to us. The rest of this passage talks about how unbelieving people keep trying to shut out the light of Christ and remain in darkness. So the Pharisees start this at verse 13. They immediately want to deny the light and try to invalidate his claim based on a technicality. They say, oh, your witness is no good. It's not valid. You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And they also may be throwing Jesus' words back in, back in John 5.31. He said, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Back in chapter 5, Jesus had been saying everything he said was just what the Father God wanted him to speak. So he was saying if he went on his own and didn't say what the Father said, that he would, he, it wouldn't be valid. But he says over and over again, I only say what the Father gave me to speak. So that's what he's saying in, in chapter 5. And um, they throw that back at him. And in verse 14, Jesus says, you know what, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. He's basing the validity of his testimony on his origin and destination, that he knows he came from the Father and will return to the Father. So in this sense, his testimony is true. As a son of God, he can make this claim. The fact they are ignorant of it doesn't invalidate the testimony. Son of God and God is a pretty good team for, good, for true testimony. And in verse 15, he says, you're judging according to the flesh. 
I judge no one, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In other words, the Pharisees judge according to human standards. Their judgment is controlled by fallen human wisdom, so they can only judge wrongly. They get it wrong every time. Jesus judges no one, that is, no one according to their way of judgment. But if he does judge, his judgment is true because he's not alone in it. He and the Father who sent him. Over and over again, you just keep seeing, Jesus keeps saying over and over again, I and the Father, I only do what the Father does, I only say what the Father says, I only speak what the Father speaks, I only judge what the Father judges. Jesus never steps outside from the Father's will. Obviously because he and the Father are one, one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so there's no way he would ever deviate from the Father's judgment. And so how absurd that the testimony of the light of the world and his Father whose judgments are perfect and true, is being scrutinized by these who judge according to the dark standards of this world, the dark, infallible, and corrupt human standards. So it is today, those who live in spiritual darkness think they have enlightened judgment, but they can only produce dark judgments. Whatever God says is true, the dark world says is false. Whatever God says is good, our dark world calls evil. Whatever God says is wise, our dark world calls foolish. Verse 17, Jesus says, In your law it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I'm the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears, also bears witness about me. Jesus says that even by the law standards, he is able to bear witness about himself as well as the Father who sent him, because, once again, it's he and the Father. And so he just keeps expecting them to, to recognize he is from the Father. The Father and he are reliable witnesses. To know God, you must know his Son, they definitely don't know Jesus or his heavenly Father because to know one is to know the other. Jesus is telling these men who believe they knew God better than others that they do not know him at all. Wow. This gets to the heart of the issue. These people who should have been experts in knowing the, the scriptures, who had massive amounts of scripture memorized, tons of theology, he's saying you don't know God. You don't know God. And if you don't know God, you'll never know his son. And to know God, you have to know his son. They get this was his meaning because in the next verse, in verse 20, John says they would have arrested him if they could. So verse 20, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So this terribly offensive statement by Jesus, they would love to have him arrested as they reject what he claims and he has said they don't know God. The treasury in the court of women was a highly public setting. In other words, tons of people were there. They're all hearing this, and they feel, well, gosh, we can't arrest him now because people are listening to him, and, and we'll look bad on our record. This will never fly if we arrest him now. But behind it, John says, the reason they couldn't arrest him was because this hour had not yet come. It was not God's time for him to be put to death, which is what his arrest would, would result in. God's control of the timing for Jesus to complete his mission. Starting with verse 21, Jesus exposes those who don't believe as those who will die in their sin. This is the huge issue. They're going to die in their sin, these people who are experts in theology and who are the most esteemed teachers. He says to them in verse 21, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, why does he say that they will seek him? In other, and the... the um, the language there would indicate they keep seeking him. They're going to keep seeking him. Why does he say they're going to keep seeking him? 
Well, they'll keep looking for the Messiah, even as many Jews do today. They keep thinking, well, he's not the Messiah, so they'll keep looking. Jesus says, you're going to keep seeking me, but because I'm him, you'll never find me. And if you die without believing in me, you've rejected the only Messiah there ever is or will be, and you'll die in your sin. If you have not believed in the one God sent into the world to save the world from sin before you die, there's no more remedy for your sin. Dying in your sin without trusting in Jesus means you missed your opportunity to receive eternal life. It would be a horrible, horrible tragedy to wake up to. In fact, Hebrews 9.27 says this. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. But didn't Jesus just say back in verse 15, I judge no one? Well, yes, but Jesus says over and over again, he's not come to judge now, he came to save, but on the last day he will judge. Yes, judgment is coming. It's just not now. Now is the time of salvation. He's freely giving, patiently waiting all kinds of space, giving us all kinds of space to come to him now. He will judge eventually, but not now. When he speaks about not judging, this is what he means. For those who live in darkness and love living in it, they mistake God's patience and waiting and kindness in delaying judgment to mean that Jesus won't judge it at all. But as Jesus says in John 12, 47 and 48, John 12, 47 48 says, Jesus says this, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him now, in other words. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. You will hear Jesus' words reverberating in your ears on the last day in judgment. Now, are you planning for retirement? I keep getting all these alarming, are you saving up enough for retirement? Are you planning for retirement? Oh, trying to freak you out and make you, you know, we'll, we'll sell you something to get you ready for retirement. That's only minimally important as being ready to die and having your sins covered in Jesus. If you, you could retire with 10 million bucks in the bank if you don't have Jesus and you're dying your sin. It's really sad. And you have a huge wake-up call coming. Verse 22. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I'm from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. Third time Jesus said this in a few verses. For unless you believe that I am he, or that I am, you, you will die in your sins. The last time Jesus spoke these words, where I, where I am, you cannot come, they thought he meant he was going to take off and teach the Gentiles. This time they think he means he will kill himself. They're mocking him because they believe if you killed yourself, you go to hell. The worst place in hell, that's what they thought. They think, well, we know we're not going to hell, so it must be he's going to kill himself. That must be what Jesus means. Ha ha, Jesus. In another sense, they're right. Since he will go away by, by dying, but not by suicide, but by voluntarily laying down his life in obedience to the Father. By taking our judgment in his death, we won't go to hell if we believe in him. He answers their distortions and mocking of his words by declaring that the difference between them and him is that they are from below, they are from this world, and he is from above, from heaven, his Father. To be of this world doesn't just mean living on this planet. To be of this world means you're spiritually part of the dark realm of rebellion against God. 
you were living in the spiritual darkness of this world. The only way to be transferred out of this domain of darkness, to be being fitted for the above realm, the kingdom of light of God's glory, is through faith in Jesus. They were, just like every other person who has ever lived, been born spiritually dead in spiritual darkness. That's what we're born, the way we're born into that darkness. They could not change their being from below or of this world by any of their own efforts. To be from above or not of this world can only be by faith in the one who is from above, the true light coming into this world, Jesus, the Son of God. All who remain from below or of this world or in darkness will die in their sins unless they believe what Jesus says about himself. All who remain in darkness will die in their sins unless they believe what Jesus says about himself. And what does he say about himself? Well, the original language here is simply, unless you believe that I am. Your English versions all want to put something after that. And that can be okay if the context demands that they say, I am he or I am, I am who I say I am, who I claim to be. If the context requires it, that's okay to translate it that way. But to add those words, the context needs to require it. Here, John has recorded many, several of these I am statements by Jesus leading up to one he'll, in John 8:58, where it's very clear he means to refer to himself as I am. This is what God told Moses to tell Israel his name was. Moses said, if they ask me what, who spoke to me, who shall I tell them to talk to me? He said, tell them I am talk to you. My name is I am. So this is who Jesus is, what he's claiming here. I am. I am God. I'm the God man. Unless you believe Jesus is the God man, you will die in your sins. the great agnostic Bertrand Russell who wrote a book called Why I'm Not a Christian. As he got, approached death, he, he said this, there is darkness without, and when I die, darkness within. He could only see darkness, and he was right because he rejected Jesus very explicitly. So they say to him in verse 25, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. He's been telling them he is the one who saves, the one who gives eternal life. They're having a hard time accepting this. They can't accept that he could possibly be the son of God. So they, they don't even hear it. They just keep trying to deflect his teaching. He's the son of God, the son of man, the one who gives eternal life to those who believe. In verse 26, he, has, he says, I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about God the Father. He says, I have a lot to say about you, and it's not good. The diagnosis is pretty bad. It involves judgment, but all in good time, according to what he hears from the one who sent him, the Father, who is true. So they will be judged according to what is true. And over and over again, he t he's been talking to them about, about his Father now for three chapters, and they still don't get it, or they won't get it. They keep trying to distort what he means. They didn't understand he'd been speaking to them about the Father, even though he says over and over again, the Father and I are, are, are in this together. Those who live in spiritual darkness cannot and do not believe or receive the truth from the one who is the light of the world. They just keep not believing. They keep finding reasons not to believe. In fact, if we fast forward to John 8, 46 and 47, Jesus says this, if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? In other words, how, how can Jesus be telling the truth and have all these truth experts, supposedly, 
They just will not believe. He tells them, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So to be of God is to have been born from above, to have the light of life, a child of God. You need a light-friendly nature, spiritual solar panels that receive sunlight, truth. You need a truth implantation from Jesus to be of God, to, to receive the truth. Otherwise, you just keep deflecting, keep deflecting. No light, no false, no dark. It's better than no light. And that only comes by grace. Verse 28, Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, or that I am, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. They say, who, They've asked, Who are you? Jesus tells them, When they lift Him up, and that means on the cross, they will know that He is I am. And He never acts on His own authority, but speaks just as the Father taught Him. Ironically, lifting him up in crucifixion is also lifting him up in glorification. The very act of shame becomes his act of, the act of glory for Jesus as well. The Father and Son have planned this from before the world began. Song, When I Surveyed the Wondrous Cross on which the Prince of Glory died. The Prince of Glory died on the cross. It's shameful death, but the Prince of Glory was on the cross. Jesus is not saying his enemies will all be converted when they crucify him or even when he is raised. He's not saying you're all going to believe in me at that moment. So what does he mean? Well, some, some will come to know and believe who Jesus is, that he is the I am, because they will see he's died on the cross and in his resurrection, and some will believe. But even those who don't believe will one day bow before him when they, the one whom they rejected and confess he is Lord. So everybody at some point will say, yep, you're Lord, whether before you die that's the time to do it. Right? Before you die, believe in Jesus. Not after. After, no chance. When you confess afterwards, it means you're judged. So I'm saying to you this day, you've heard from my lips, you must believe in Jesus now before you die. And you don't know when you're going to die. We, we, we kind of think we're just going to keep going and going. Even when you're 80 years old, 90 years old, people are saying, Man, I can't believe I'm going to die. Um, yeah, it's been going on ever since Adam and Eve. You have no guarantee that you're going to live another day or another hour. I don't. You don't. So please believe now. Because dying in sins is a horrible way to waste your life. Thank Jesus for making it so, so clear to us. Verse 29. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing him. The Father sent him will be with him in all of this, because he always does what pleases God. It was God's will. In fact, in, in Isaiah 53, a prophecy about the coming servant, Jesus, who would lay his life down. In Isaiah 53.10 says this about Jesus. It pleased God to crush him. Say, wow, really? Yeah, because that's what they had planned from before the world began, to save a people for his name, so that there would be human beings with him forever and ever in heaven who will enjoy his glory. So pleased to... It pleased God for the Son to suffer to the point of death. He always did to please the Father. In being sent by the Father to carry out the mission of saving the people for his name, he knew what he was getting into. This wasn't, oh, God, I didn't know this was going to happen. Oh, man, you didn't remember told me that. No, they always knew from the beginning this is how it would be. So he always did what pleased God because he agreed from the beginning to do it, and he knew it's going to be this way. He laid down his life so that those who believe in him would not die in their sin, but receive the light of life, eternal life. 
Therefore God highly exalted him. They would not remain in darkness. They would not die in sin. Verse 30, as he's saying these things, many believed in him. Even with all the confusion about Jesus' words, and even with all the distortion of the, the Pharisees, it says many believed in him. Now next week, we'll hear how many of these truly believed in him. But again, the issue for us, believe now, today, while you still have life, it's a good day to believe. Why still have opportunity. John 12, 35, 36, and 46 says this. Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. He says, I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes, whoever believes, whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So what have we been saying? True statement. Here's what we've been saying. If you missed it, we said this. Jesus, who is the life-giving light of the world for those who believe in him, exposes those who don't believe as those who will die in their sin. Jesus is the life-giving light of the world. He exposes those who don't believe as those who will die in their sin. So please believe. The gospel is the MRI that reveals the deadly cancer of spiritual darkness. It is the laser light treatment that kills the sin that would kill you and implants the life-giving light in you. Thank Jesus. If you know him, if you believe in him, that's grace. If you haven't yet, today would be a great day to believe. Father, sender of Jesus, we thank you that his mission has been successful. It's not over yet because you've given us who've seen his light, literally, because we've believed in him and seen he is the way, the truth and the life. He is the way out of darkness. He is the way out of hell into heaven. He is the way from death to life. He's the way from sin to righteousness. He's the way from corruption to holiness. He's the way to live forever with you in eternity. Thank you that you've shown this to us. You've opened our eyes to see this light and haven't left us in the darkness. Thank you, Father, for so great a gift. I do pray, Father, for everyone here today. No one will leave here without understanding clearly you must believe in Jesus Christ to have life. We ask these things in his name. Amen.